0: Welcome to episode 192 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on April 2nd, 2022. I'm your host, Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is a show that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we've got some distro news, some app news, some gaming news, and even a little bit of some drama news to cover. All of this and so much more are coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean, by Visuex, and by Bitwarden. This week, the Fedora project announced the beta release of the next version of Fedora Linux with version 36. First and foremost, I just want to say that this is a beta release, so it is not intended for production just yet, though I do have a quick story about that, which I will share at the end of this topic. But for now, let's talk about what's new in Fedora 36. So with the workstation edition which is the gnome edition, the gnome 42 is included in this beta release and this 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 is the newest version of the desktop environment from the gnome team. For more information about gnome 42, you can check out the l- last week's episode of Twill, Twill 191 where we cover the release in depth. And also in this release with Workstation, Wayland is going to be used by default for NVIDIA users. Now, Wayland has been used by default in GNOME for many years in Fedora, but NVIDIA was always kind of a holdout because of their lack of support for Wayland. So now that they are working towards that with uh, collaboration with Red Hat, there's a lot of uh, improvements to that. So now they can do it by default and they're continuing to work on it and improve it as well because uh, there's... It's kind of needed for the NVIDIA users, but it's really great to see that they are doing that. Also in Fedora 36, there's some news about Silverblue and Kinoite. They now have the slash var vol- uh, sub volume separate uh, for new installs, which makes uh, handling snapshots of dynamic data easier to manage independently from system snapshots, which is a much more cleaner approach, which I like to see. Also, LXQt spin of Fedora 36 now includes LXQt 1.0, and that can also be installed as an additional DE if you use a different version of Fedora. But if you want to get started with Fedora and use LXQt, you can check out the LXQt spin. We'll also go into more details for Fedora Linux when it comes out for the latest release of 36, like the official release. But for now, just a quick reminder this news is about a beta release, so keep that in mind. With that said, though, I do have a quick story that I mentioned earlier. You see, I ignored my own advice back in September of 2020 when I installed Fedora Linux 33 beta on my production machine. And I have been using that same install ever since. So in my experience, the beta releases for Fedora Linux are pretty solid, actually. It's kind of crazy because the method I went with updating the beta was also a bit weird and Fedora somehow handled it you know, just fine. I still give the warning anyway because it's still a risk But for me, I think apparently I'm okay with that risk and I already started messing around with Fedora Linux 36 beta too, which I plan to install on this production machine as well before the release. So I'm just saying, keep in mind, it's still a beta, but if you want to ignore me, like I'm ignoring me, that's an option too. (laughs) You'll learn more about Fedora Linux 36 beta. I have links in the show notes. This week, Canonical has announced the beta release of the next version of Ubuntu with 22.04 LTS, codename Jemmy Jellyfish. First and foremost, this is the beta release as well, just like with Fedora. It's not intended for production just yet. I did try out the beta release for Ubuntu 22.04 LTS just yesterday, and I will say there are some clear improvements and also some changes that I wasn't thrilled about. We'll get to that in a bit but every Ubuntu release comes with not just changes and updates to Ubuntu, but also all of the flavors as well. There are just way too many things to cover this week for a beta release, but when the final version comes out, we will be taking a look at all of the changes much more in depth for Ubuntu and the flavors. So... Just real quick, though, we'll do a couple of the highlights. For example, the Linux kernel 5.15 LTS will be used in this latest release. Uh, Mesa 22 will be used, also GNOME 42. There's a lot of modifications that Ubuntu makes for GNOME, so it's not exactly like a vanilla GNOME experience, but depending on your preference, you might like that. Also, just like Fedora, Wayland Session by default for NVIDIA users will be included in Ubuntu 2204. Uh, There's also some visual changes for the 2204 LTS release, introduces a new brighter theme as they have dropped the, dropped the mix design they used to have. I know this is because they had to do changes for the GNOME changes and the GTK changes, but I'm still kind of saddened by this because I think the mix design uh, for the Yaru theme was much better than the current super bright theme. Of course, that is just my preference, and I am sure there are plenty of people who will disagree with me on that, but that is it is what it is. However, thanks to using uh, GNOME 42, there will be a global dark theme for people like me who prefer that look and feel anyway, so that's cool. They have also introduced a new feature for easily customizing accent colors. By default, Ubuntu ships with their well-known orange as the accent color, but now in 2204, users will be able to change the color accents to a select group of options for more customizations to your liking, which is very nice. Of course, there are also all the other improvements that come from the update to GNOME 42. And if you'd like to learn more about those, then like I said in the previous topic, check out the link in the show notes for episode 191 of This Week in Linux, and you can learn more about GNOME 42. And if you'd like to learn more about Ubuntu 2204 LTS beta, link in the show notes. Speaking of Ubuntu, we also have a new distribution to talk about that is based on Ubuntu. Ubuntu and that distribution is Rolling Rhino Remix. This distro is very interesting for a couple of reasons, but there are also some issues with it that I want to make you aware of. First of all, for those unfamiliar with Rolling Rhino Remix, it is a distro that is aiming to be a rolling release variant of the Ubuntu platform. If you prefer Ubuntu base, but also want a rolling release, then this might be something to check out. In order to do this though, the rolling release style, it uses development builds from Ubuntu, and due to this, Apt is not recommended for updates. Instead, they have a custom tool called rhino update, and this is essentially implementing apt and some extra stuff to do the updates. So, it is recommended to run rhino update at least once per week to stay current if you're going to use this remix. Now, Ubuntu is not designed to be a rolling release model, so just following Ubuntu development isn't going to provide the latest packages in general. Uh, And this is why Rhino update will also provide updates to the kernel separately. So the kernel can be more up-to-date version than what comes in Ubuntu normally speaking with the, the regular development updates. So long-term listeners of this show might recognize the name of this project from a previous episode back in 2020, we covered it on episode 108 of Twill. We talked about a project called rolling Rhino created by Martin Wimpress, who was an employee of canonical at the time. Now this is not that project. It shares the name, but it's it's not the same project. Rolling Rhino Remix uses the same name with permission from Martin Wimpress, but Martin is not involved in this project. The, the idea of this remix is to take the concept of what Martin created with Rolling Rhino and package it as a distro. I've also seen some articles talk about this as if Canonical or Ubuntu themselves is behind this, and that is definitely not the case. Ubuntu nor Canonical are involved in this project at all, And it's kind of odd that these articles would even get this confused when you go to the project's website and it directly states this multiple times. Like the first sentence on the page says that it's an unofficial flavor. And in the footer of every page, it says Rolling Rhino remix is not affiliated with the Ubuntu project, but you know, it happens. I will say that the unofficial flavor part can be confusing for some because the flavored term is used by Ubuntu exclusively to refer to officially sanctioned affiliated diff- uh, derivatives. This means unofficial flavor is not really a thing, but the project also kind of addresses this by calling itself a remix too. So you know what? This stuff is a bit complicated for this segment of Twill. I'm going to make a video that explains this differences between uh, flavors, remix, exp- or spins, forks, and all that stuff. So be sure to subscribe to the channel if you want to learn more about that. Back to the topic at hand, though. Rolling Rhino Remix is an interesting project and might be something to try uh, if you're interested in a rolling release style model for Ubuntu. If you are a beginner to Linux, I highly suggest looking elsewhere, though, because development builds are not meant for production use. And even if the the Rolling Rhino Remix irons out some of the issues here and there, it's still underlying potential breakage due to the development builds because so because they're treated differently in the way that they they are made by ubuntu so you know i would just kind of recommend people who are beginners to to linux not you know not unless you want to just play around with it feel free but don't use it as a daily driver if you are an experienced user though and you want to try out this stuff and are comfortable with you know addressing issues that might arise then feel free and i say enjoy so like to learn more about rolling rhino remix links in the show notes This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is an awesome platform, so it's about really cloud computing and cloud services. And cloud computing can be, you know, let's say complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. With DigitalOcean, you also get a lot of great stuff. You get predictable pricing, which is very important. Also, the robust product docs. They have tons of great tutorials, actually, literally tons, because there's multiple thousands of them. And there's a a lot of great information about that, and they also keep them up to date, which is kind of uncommon with some tutorials. So I really love that part about it. And there's just a lot of great uh, services that developers love at DigitalOcean. And also, you can get support at every stage of growth from from DigitalOcean from with a team of one to a team of 1,000 people. With simple, powerful cloud computing at DigitalOcean. As a listener of this Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, it's better than free because with DigitalOcean, they're going to give you a $100 free credit. That's right, $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux 2022. Again, go to do.co slash tux 2022 to get your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform. Again, do.co slash tux2022. We want to thank Digitalism for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. This week, Google Chrome has reached somewhat of a milestone, and that is the release of version 100. Now, there is also something that's worth noting in terms of like, this could be a problem, but I'll get to that in a second. So what's new in version 100 is that the multi-screen window placement API which is for being able to better handle multiple window apps that need more accurate positioning. For example, like slideshows across screens or a financial app for a dashboard across different monitors and that sort of stuff. And, you know, other examples but there's also another change for the digital goods api being introduced for being able to uh, uh, query and manage digital products around in-app purchases from web applications so a web app within google play store can now easily accept purchases from digital goods directly there which is interesting so depending on what you need that might be a good thing for developers of course uh, there's also something that I think is kind of cool, and that is a the plus lighter value for the mix blend mode of CSS for allowing two elements to cross fade by changing their opacities from zero to one and one to zero on the other other, other element while keeping common pixels unmodified. So you can kind of do basically can create a fade effect, which is just pretty cool. Uh, there's also the another change, and this is kind of the biggest change for this this particular release, because while the milestone number is big, the complexity of the release is not high so the biggest change is the refresh logo this is something that they haven't changed in about eight years or so the new design removes some of the shadowing detail from the 2014 version of the logo that makes it more of a flatter look and that's pretty much the only changes for that part but you know there you go there have been also some fears though about the transition to version 100 that's what i was talking about they're like a little bit of an issue So the the potential is that they think that this could cause some issues for any websites that are only designed to recognize browsers with two-digit version numbers due to user agent parsing. Now, Google and Mozilla have been working on this for months, so it's likely that any major bugs will already have been spotted and ironed out. If that's not the case, though, Google has said that it's able to freeze its browser version number at 99 while these issues are addressed. And you might be thinking... This sounds a little bit similar, like the Y2K scare many, many, many years ago. And it kind of actually is because it's all about the version number in terms of how many numbers are used. And like previously, about uh, 12 years ago or something like that, when they went from one digit to two digits, there was there was an issue that happened. So it's a fear that people have because it's possible that it could be done by a a three digit now. So um, hopefully this is not a problem that people experience, but some websites might have an issue if they're specifically looking at two digit version numbers of a user agent. But if they're looking that close to a user agent, they're probably not a very good website in the first place because, or I guess they have like DRM stuff. Maybe, I don't know. Typically uh, the best way of doing website design as someone who does that in general is, don't worry about what browser is using it Try to make it be universal across all the browsers and then this this wouldn't matter so there's going to be a lot of websites won't have an issue but you may run into one here or there if you'd like to learn more about the latest version of google chrome 100 link in the show notes up next in the show lutris has released version 0.5.10 which is a major release that adds many new features For those unfamiliar with Lutris, Lutris is a popular and open-source game management software that makes it easier to install games from a variety of stores and various methods. If you would like to learn more about Lutris as a project, then you be sure to check out the episode 255 of Destination Linux, where we interview the founder of Lutris. I'll have a link to that episode in the show notes. Uh, The biggest news for this latest release is the introduction of Steam Deck support. You can install and play even more games on Steam Deck from sources like GOG, Epic Game Store, and other stuff. Even the Lutris website, you can get like the recipes and stuff like that from the Lutris website through this solution. Now, there is a Flatpak version that is in the works still. It's ne- it's currently not available, and that's not what relates to this particular news. But Steam Deck users will have to install Lutris from the Arch Linux or the, the AUR repositories. But you'll have to disable something else that's the read-only flag, on the Steam Deck, which once you have it installed, you can then turn the you know read-only flag back on if you want to. However, it is worth noting that updates to SteamOS could cause an issue with this method, so it'd be better in general with the Flatpak once that's done. So that wouldn't shouldn't be an issue going forward once the Flatpak version is out. But for now, it is something to keep in mind. Now, Lutris 0.5.10 release also adds support for EA Origin and Ubisoft Connect accounts. So if you use any of games from those, you'll now be able to support with Lutris. Also, the ability to search the Lutris website from game installers directly into the in the UI is really cool. You can also scan local folder for games, install Windows games from an optical media, like a CD if you have those still, or a DVD if you have those still, as well as to install a game from a local install script and many other things. If you'd like to learn more about Lutris, like I said, check out episode 255 of Destination Linux, where we interviewed the founder of Lutris, but also, if you want to learn more about this latest release, link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of Parrot OS with Parrot OS 5.0. Now, this is an interesting distribution because they this is a pen testing related distribution, but they also have various different versions and they've actually added some more additions to this latest release. The system now also follows a long term support release model, but provides the latest version of all of its tools via an extensive backporting effort. They say that Parrot 5.0 was designed with cloud and customizability in mind and provides several container options to leverage powerful orchestration tools during complex pen testing scenarios. So Parrot 5.0 keeps the former uh, home and security editions that they've, they've had for a while, but they also introduced some other new editions like the HTB edition, which is I'm pretty sure hacked the box is what that stands for. They've also have a new uh, experimental Raspberry Pi edition that was released with this with this current version, and they also were saying that they will be following it with the further enhancements and more board support for that for the ARM edition of it, not just for the Pi uh, during the year. Now, there's also some more options for different of, of different editions like in containers and embedded environments and that sort of stuff. They say that the Parrot Home Edition is a general-purpose operating system with a typical Parrot look and feel. It is designed for developers and everyday users with an emphasis on privacy and software development. Uh, Parrot tools can be manually installed to assemble a custom and lightweight pen uh, pen testing environment if they so choose. They also have the Security Edition, which is the one that they're mostly known for. So Parrot Security Edition is a special-purpose operating system designed for penetration testing and red team operations. It contains a full arsenal of ready-to-use pen testing tools, and this latest version of Parrot OS 5.0 has added some new pen testing tools to the equation. Now, they also have this new Architect Edition, which is a minimal ISO, Uh, of parrot that provides the installer only basically it's for x86 and arm and you can basically customize the system installation how you want like being able to pick different desktop environments and doing a minimal installation or installing a custom set of tools at the install time So this is a really interesting distribution in 5.0. It's got a lot of changes. So if you are interested in checking out a pen testing uh, distribution or just checking out the Parrot OS Home Edition, because it's really interesting that a lot of people look at these kinds of distros and look at them as like, this is the cool distro to use. It's not, these pen testing distros are not supposed to be used for day-to-day drivers. Like, if you are a a hacker whose job is to daily work on these things, then it makes sense. But I've seen people use Kali Linux or Parrot OS as, like, oh, you know, it's cool to use it because it's a hacker distro. And that's not a great thing to do. But I do like the fact that Parrot OS has the Home Edition, which is essentially not including any of the pen testing stuff. So if you wanted to have a pen testing, you know, version that you, you use when you need it. And then also have one that's very similar or, you know, pretty almost identical for your daily driver. It's really cool that Parrot, Parrot does that as they, they take that into consideration. I think that's kind of interesting. If you'd like to learn more about Parrot 5.0, link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus you have a- you can have access across many different types of devices whether it's your web browser, mobile applications, desktop application, or even on the command line. Plus Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is super important for a password manager. Of course, which is fantastic and one of the reasons why I love using Bitwarden. Also, the fact that it's an open source tool is another great reason. So if you are interested, go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started. And did I mention you can start it for free? Well, you can, but I also think you want to check out their premium account anyway because they get a lot of really great features in that premium account for less than a dollar per month. That's right, less than a dollar per month gets you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Bitwarden Send for easily transferring files to someone else uh, privately and securely, uh, Priority Customer Service, so much great stuff, all for less than a dollar per month. That's right. So make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your Bitwarden account. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this week in Linux. Earlier this year, we talked about a new web-based distro installer that OpenSUSE is developing called DeInstaller. DeInstaller is the is a complement Yast existing Qt and CLI installer front ends and would open up a web UI support a more modern UI also, and enhanced integration via the dbus installer service. This week, OpenSUSE has announced the first public release of this new installer. It is important to note that this public release is still considered experimental, so if you do decide to try it, keep in mind that it is experimental. Uh, D-Installer is focused on providing a system service, a Dbus interface, and a web user interface. Also, Deinstaller leverages Yast libraries, just like the typical way of installing OpenSUSE with Yast. But the, the web interface is built on using a React application with PatternFly. So it does look very nice, and I think there's a lot of potential for this uh, Deinstaller in the future. Although I will say the name Deinstaller kind of sounds like it's uninstalling because of the. D install Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about this latest news from OpenSUSE, link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of Gparted Live 1.4. Gparted is a Debian based distro to be a graphical dynamic partition management tool for Linux. A lot to say, but in other words, it offers useful things like non destructive expansion and shrinking of disk partitions while they can also contain data at the time. What's new in the latest version of Gparted is they have added labeling uh, for a mounted ButterFS, extended two, three, and four file systems, as well as XFS file systems. They've added Bcache detection, and also they've got some bug fixes in there as well. So if you're interested in checking out uh, Gparted Live 1.4, I have a link in the show notes. Up next in the show, this week we saw a new release for the Deepin Linux distro with Deepin 20.5. This is an incremental update from the previous 20.4 release, but there are some interesting things being added to this latest release that I wanted to talk about. For those unfamiliar, Deepin is a distro made by the Chinese company Wuhan Deepin Technology Company Limited. That is a lot to say. (laughs) Deepin 20.5 has upgraded the kernel to Linux 5.15.24. They've made some changes to their app store. It offers the entries for sending feedback and asking for updates, which is pretty interesting. When you have an app installation and update problems, you can submit issues on the app page directly to the official support and get solutions. Uh, They also say that it supports touchscreen devices with one finger and multi-finger gestures. The app store is probably one of the interesting things about the Deepin distribution because it's a very nice looking app store. And I think that other app stores should kind of look at that and see how they do it to consider maybe adopting some of the styles because I do think that the app store for deepen is very nice looking. Also, they've ad- introduced a thing called pinning screenshots by clicking pin screenshots before taking a screenshot. The captured screenshot will be sticky on top of windows and its position can be moved around while pinning this picture to the desktop. You can use other apps at the same time to improve work efficiency. They say now, I'm not sure what the value of this is exactly, but I am kind of curious to play around with it and see if I can figure it out because I've never thought about wanting to pin a screenshot before, but maybe I do now, we'll see. <laughs> also, this latest release of D- Deepin 20.5 has introduced uh, face recognition as a one of the biometric authentication methods, so it supported if, if you have a device that supports that. Uh, after enrolling your face in the control center, the next time on the lock screen the log, and the login interface, you can now log in with your face ID into Deepin. So I'm not a fan of biometric logins myself, fingerprint, face ID, any of that stuff, but it is interesting to see something like this being added to a Linux distribution. So if you'd like to learn more about Deepin 20.5, link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Visuex.com. Visuex is a brand strategy design consultancy. This is a Fancy way of saying that visuex helps brands and businesses achieve their goals and accelerate growth through conversions of leads into customers uh, through design and marketing services. Visuex helps businesses gain a competitive advantage and build lasting relationships with their communities. And, you know, businesses shouldn't settle for good enough. Why settle for good enough when you can contact visuex and get visual excellence? As a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get a free consultation with Visuex, plus you can let them know you heard about Visuex from Twill and receive a 10% discount on your first project. That's right, a 10% discount on your first project. So go to visualx.com slash DLN to get started. And we want to thank Visuex for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Speaking of design, this week, the company Wacom wrote a really interesting article about their support for the Linux ecosystem. For those unfamiliar, Wacom is basically the leader in pens and tablets for digital drawing. And as a designer myself with Visuex, Wacom has been on my radar for decades. And one of the reasons I'm a fan of their products is the effort they go to for supporting Linux. Wacom has worked to support Linux for so long, it's felt like it's always been there and I didn't even know when they started doing it because I, it just seemed like it was there the whole time when I wanted to switch. And based on this blog post, I, it now seems like it was started in 2002, which does feel like almost the entire time. Not exactly the entire time I've been on Linux, but very close. Uh, and I talked about a, a new pin I purchased from my design and drawing work on a recent episode of Hardware Addicts podcast. It was a great discussion. If you're interested in checking that out, I'll have a link to that episode in the show notes. Uh, for hardware edX, where we talk about the, the pen. And the reason I'm talking about that is because it was a Wacom pen that I purchased. And this is a quote from the blog post that says that at Wacom, it is important that all of our users have their workflows as fully supported as possible. Over the years, more and more enterprise users and creative professionals have been relying on Linux as part of their workflows. Many of these users already rely on Wacom to power their creative and business endeavors. In fact, Wacom devices are being adopted in many Linux enterprise environments beyond the creative industry, such as finance, banking, medical, and public sectors are commonly adopting Linux solutions with pen-based workflows. Now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever publicly thanked Wacom for their support for Linux over the years, because Wacom is one of those companies that made it possible for me to switch to Linux and still have access to the tools that I needed back in the day for my design work and that sort of stuff. Now, if it sounds like I'm a Wacom fanboy from this topic, well, I am. So now that's settled. You, you, it's clear. If you would like to learn more about Wacom and their products, then I will have links for you in the show notes for this blog post. I'll also have a link to the Hardware Addicts episode and the pin that I recently purchased if you're curious about that too. So links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we're going to keep on the topic of drawing, and we're going to talk about Drawing 1.0 being released. So drawing is a application for image manipulation and drawing. And it's very, it's it's simplistic in what it's aiming to be. It's not trying to be a Photoshop competitor. It's just trying to give you the basic tools for things that for people who want to get started and just want to do, you know, they need to do some changes, but they don't need to do a a, a drastic amount of things, right? So version 1.0.0 improves rendering performance, which is definitely visible in when you're editing large images on, you know, lower end CPUs. They also added a new SKU tool. I specifically enunciated the word skew because I knew I was going to mess it up, uh, which I did the first time I tried to say this or do this topic anyway. So skew tool is basically a way to tilt an image from a rectangle to a parallelogram or other kinds of ways to do it. So basically it's a deformation tool that you can do uh, horizontal deformation or vertical deformation. They've also made it possible. You can select tools with keyboard accelerators, which is like using alt uh, alt B or alt a for different tools, which is nice. Because, you know, use, once you start getting into these kinds of applications, if you have to use your mouse to do everything, it does slow you down. So I really like to see, you know, that way of being doing quick shortcuts to, to choose a tool. Also, pressing control will display the cursor coordinates in the tooltip, which is nice. And if you, if you do it while using a tool, it may display additional data based on the tool. such so for example, the dimensions of a shape you're drawing. Uh, also if you press shift or alt when using a tool enables specific options such as locking the direction for a line tool or changing the filling style of a shape and that sort of thing so if you're interested in checking out an application for drawing or image manipulation that is designed to be more like a a beginner's getting started method then check out drawing 1.0 I'll have links in the show notes up next in the show, we're going to talk about a new feature that was announced by KDE developer Niccolo Vey yesterday on his channel for what is coming to Plasma users to enjoy. I am so excited about this groundbreaking new innovation. There, there, I think there's only one word needed to describe the innovation that this offers. Magical. Okay, to be serious for a second, this was an April Fool's joke, but I wanted to cover this because rather than just making a screenshot joke, this seems to actually have been created as a widget to put it on your panel so if you wanted it for some reason i I think it's possible to actually get it for those who are not aware of like what you know quite sure what this joke is related to this is having a bit of fun with apple who genuinely did put a weird pointless notch on their screens both in the iphones and also in their laptops for some reason Like they didn't have space on their laptop screens. Like I get the argument that they didn't have space for the cameras on the phone, but on laptops, what? Anyway, one comment on YouTube asked a good question about maybe there's a practical purpose for this since it could be used on an Apple laptop running plasma. And I was curious about what the response would be for this too. So I checked that out and Nicolo responded with saying, basically you could just use the built-in spacer instead because that it, it would do the job and it would also work better too. So there you go. If you are interested in checking out Kanach widget for yourself, this new innovative feature that is definitely magical, link in the show notes. <laughs> Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe if you'd like to support the channel and the show we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon sponsors and others you can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute and if you become a patron you can join me during the live streams in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics here and there and also to just hang out every week after the show in the patron only post show you can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt and the This Week in Linux t-shirt at dealinstore.com. yes I I said t-shirt this week not t-short i am so good at speaking plus while you're there check out all the other great stuff with hats Mugs, hoodies, stickers, so much more. I'm so happy about myself not saying t-shirt this time. Dealinstore.com. If you like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episodes of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern UT or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to DealinLive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux. Good news.